You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. The following is a recording of the Ayn Rand Institute's Philosophy for Living on Earth webinar series. Sign up to attend the next webinar live at courses.aynrand.org forward slash webinars forward slash register. Should I go by reason or by faith? By Ben Baer. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Living on Earth, coming to you live from the Ayn Rand Institute. This is a weekly webinar series that explores life's big questions and answers to those questions coming from the ideas of Ayn Rand. My name is Ben Baer. I'm going to be your host this week. And the big question we'll discuss today is, should I go by reason or should I go by faith? format for these sessions is that I'll give a presentation for about 20 minutes, then we're going to open it up for Q&A, at which point I will be joined by my colleague, Keith Lockich, who's going to moderate Q&A and join in some of the answers. Uh, by the end of today's webinar, my hope is that you're going to have a better understanding of Ayn Rand's answer to this question, one that I strongly agree with, uh, and will also understand her reasons for the answer. This should already, I think, give you a clue as to what her answer is going to be. So to get things started, I want to open with uh, considering a case where I think most people would agree we should go by reason. Suppose you have a persistent cough and you think you need to do something about it. Uh, you go to the hospital, but on the way, a stranger takes you aside and suggests that instead of going to the hospital, you should maybe try crystal healing. And what that means is that they're, to cure your cough, all that you're going to need to do is take some pretty stones, place them on strategic parts of your body, sit there for a while, and that's it. What they say is that these crystals are gonna stimulate your chakras, which are invisible energy centers somewhere in your body. You don't really know what that means, but you're afraid of looking closed-minded. So you, you get this crystal therapy and you stick with it even as the cough gets worse and other symptoms start to appear. The healer says it only works if you're persistent about it, so you keep going with it instead of going to the hospital. Somewhere down the road, you die from lung cancer. Now, I think most people would find this approach to dealing with this persistent cough to be pretty ridiculous. And they would say, stop being so gullible, go see a regular doctor. Uh, they'd say that you shouldn't have this kind of irrational faith in the crystal healer. But what I think is interesting is that even though there's a lot of people in the modern West who would say that, there are nonetheless millions of people in the modern West who would say, for instance, that this piece of bread is literally the body of their human savior. And there are millions of others here and around the world who think that even if this bacon is certified by the best food experts, that it's impure and so it shouldn't be eaten. Still other millions of people, uh, also still part of the modern world, would say we shouldn't eat this beef, not because it's impure, but because it's so holy, the cow might have a soul. Uh, if you ask most of these people why they believe these things and practice the dietary practices associated with it, they'll say 
Well, it's commanded in one of their sacred texts that this is so. And these are texts that are respected by their family and their ancestors for many generations. And that's fine for them. They are definitely going by faith, uh, but they don't seem to have a problem with it. Before I go any further, I want to take just a moment to spend some time defining some terms uh, to tell you what I mean by going by reason as opposed to going by faith. Uh, these are words that are sometimes used differently by different people. I want to clarify how I'm using them. So to give just an informal definition of reason, what I have in mind here is reason is the human power to draw to conceptualize observable evidence and to draw inferences from it. Uh, in its most celebrated form, reason is the tool of scientists like Isaac Newton. Here he is uh, experimenting with prisms to try to discover the composition of light, or a model of him at least. Um, but it's, reason is not only the tool of scientists. Uh, it's also the tool that all human beings use whenever they try to discover the most mundane facts about the world and the simplest cause and effect connections. So even ancient people who observed that seeds sprout into plants and that this is a causal connection that can be used to create agriculture were going on the basis of reason, which means going on the basis of what they could observe and what they could infer from those observations. That's what I mean by reason. That's what it means to go by reason, is to use this power. So what about faith? What I have in mind here is accepting something as true without any kind of basis in observable evidence. In other words, I'm defining faith here as simply the negation of reason, as not going by reason. So for instance, if you accept the literal truth of what's written in the Christian Bible because it feels right to you for whatever reason, that's, that's an example of going by faith. Now, Different people will sometimes use the word faith differently, and I want to spend a little time on this. Sometimes people will mean if, you're go if, you're, if you've got faith in something, all you mean is that you've got confidence in something. Say confidence in yourself, uh, confidence in your values. Uh, I won't spend as much time on this usage, but you should ask me questions about it later on if you're interested. What I will spend a little more time on is the idea that uh, faith just means trusting other people. And I want to take a moment to say why that's not how I think the concept faith should be understood and why I think this is actually pretty important that we make this distinction. Um, and to understand what I'm getting at, it's, a, it's helpful again to look at the difference between, say, the medical doctor who you should have gone to see about that persistent cough and the crystal healer. There are some really big and important differences between the trust that you might have in one as opposed to the other. When you trust the doctor, you at least can have lots of good reasons for trusting the doctor, reasons based on things that you can yourself observe and infer about the doctor. For example, you know uh, they have a diploma from a well-known medical school. They know, you, you know other people, let's say, who've been to the doctor or who've been to that hospital, who've been successfully treated. And you know that the doctor can explain to you uh, what the problem you have is and 
their proposed solution. They can show you the x-ray of your lungs with the tumor, and the explanation of what they're going to do to treat it makes sense. There's this growth that's pressing against your a certain vital organ of yours, and uh, it needs to be removed or otherwise shrunk if you're, you're going to survive. And this is based on, this, this is, coheres with lots of other things that you know about health. But when you're talking about trusting the crystal healer, you don't have any of the same kind of knowledge. Um, you don't know that they have any special credentials. This is a person you, you met on the street somewhere. Uh, you don't know anything about their track record of success in, in treating people with cancer with uh, crystals. And they can't really explain to you the mechanism by which these crystals are supposed to have the curative effect. Uh, what the heck are these uh, invisible energy centers anyway, and how are crystals supposed to affect those, and how are those supposed to affect your lungs? Mo most importantly, I think, especially if you're dealing with someone like this crystal healer, if you're motivated to listen to them at all uh, and to follow them, at least in the scenario that I sketched out, it's because you're, you're afraid to disagree. You want to seem open-minded. So I think it's a mistake to call any kind of trust that you can have in another person faith, because there's different kinds of trust. There can be faith that you have, you can, there can be trust that you have on the basis of good reason. So think of the kind of trust you have in the doctor in the best cases as rational trust, as acceptance of another person's claim with good reason. You understand their, their reasons and you have reason to listen to their reasons. As opposed to, again, the way that I was defining faith previously, I think that's the kind that you have in the case of the crystal healer. Um, there's no reason, I think, to define uh, trust, uh, to define faith as simply any kind of trust. We already have a word for it. Uh, it's called trust. Um, but we need a concept for confidence or trust that somebody has without any basis in observable evidence, without any reason. And there's a tradition of using the word faith to mean just that. That's, I think, the sense of the word that's being used in that famous translation from the book of Hebrews, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So that's, that's what I mean by faith. And the question now is, should we go by reason or should we go by faith in that important and uh, traditional sense? So should we go by reason at all? Uh, this is, I think, the easier part of the question to answer because, I mean, nobody goes by faith all the time. Uh, regardless of whatever religion you, you happen to practice, Catholics, Muslims, Hindus, they all go by observation and inference at least some of the time. Somebody who plugged up their senses and turned off their mind constantly would die quickly, and everybody knows that. And I think that most people will admit that uh, if you're talking about discovering truths of nutrition and medicine, laws of physical nature, uh, truths of engineering, there's just no other way to go. If these are truths about the world that we observe, then the way to get to them is to make observations and draw inferences from them uh, in order to know them. Um, and I think that, uh, well, so we said that we were going to begin to explore Ayn Rand's uh, view of reason and faith, and to just give a first pass of her view on this, Let's consider a quick passage from her book, Atlas Shrugged. Most of the passages, all the passages I'll look at today are, are from uh, the same basic section of that book. And the theme of the book is the role of the mind in human existence. So it certainly has a lot to say about the question of reason versus faith. So here's one pass on her view 
of why we should go by reason. She says, accept the fact that you are not omniscient, but playing a zombie will not give you omniscience, that your mind is fallible, but becoming mindless will not make you infallible. Accept that an error made on your own is safer than 10 truths accepted on faith, because the first leaves you the means to correct it, while the second destroys your capacity to distinguish truth from error. So her view here, if we understand what it means to go by reason, is what you're doing in the best case of dealing with that doctor. Uh, her view is that it is, is not that if you go with a doctor, you're going to be guaranteed to get it right. I mean, part of what she's stressing here is we're fallible. We make mistakes even in the best of cases. Her view is that going by reason, that is going by your observations and your inferences, is at the very least a necessary condition. might not be sufficient, but it's a necessary condition uh, for connecting your mind to reality. Um, it, you can understand how it is that using your senses and your mind can connect you with certain facts about your lungs and how uh, relying on the senses and the mind of another person like a doctor can connect to what's going on in your lungs and diagnose your problem as well. But if you don't know uh, how your crystal healer's statements or feelings or the crystals themselves uh, in any way connect with your lungs or their health, how could any of that, how could that mechanism possibly reveal the truth of what's going on and give you a way to solve the problem? You, you don't, it doesn't give you a way to distinguish truth from error when that's the kind of truth that we're talking about. Now, here's the harder version of the question. Okay, again, nobody goes by faith all the time. The harder question, I think, for some people is, should we always go by reason? Nobody goes by faith all the time, but those who do go by faith have to find some kind of compromise between reason and faith. They, they think that they can balance the two. So, for example, a famous case of this in history is the struggle that Galileo had with the Catholic Church over his uh, astronomical and physical theories. Uh, this is a, a portrayal of the conflict between Galileo and Cardinal Bellarmine, the chief of the Inquisition at the time, who said to Galileo, look, your science is fine. Go ahead and theorize all you like about uh, the planets, as long as whatever you say doesn't contradict Holy Scripture. And so there are places in the Scripture where it said the Earth was at the center of the universe, uh, and uh, the sun went around it. Um, that's a case where Bellarmine, at least, is trying to get Galileo to balance reason and faith. Uh, and, of course, that is not the view that's accepted even by the church today. But it's interesting and important that it's not just this kind of attitude is not just a relic of history. Uh, for example, there's no observable scientific evidence, even today, uh, that bread is made of human flesh, or that when it's been certified by uh, uh, the best experts, pigs, uh, pork is impure, or that cows have souls, or that virgins can give birth, or that human beings can rise from the dead. And yet these are all views that are accepted uncritically by millions of people around the world who would, uh, in many cases, at least consider themselves to be rational people. But their view is, well, you can reconcile reason with some faith. There's a way to balance the two. And so one question that I would ask them at this point 
is if, if it's a matter of balancing the two, how are you going to do that? How are you going to balance them? How are you going to decide when to go by reason and when to go by faith? Uh, how will you may weigh the merits and the demerits of using one or another in a given circumstance? What's the common scale with the common unit that you can use to do that? I mean, normally, when you weigh the pros and cons of some question, that itself is a rational process that you engage in. Uh, and so reason isn't going to give you reasons to use non-reason. There's no third faculty aside from reason or faith uh, that can help you decide between the two. And so what I think this points to is that in a case where you give up reason at any point, that already constitutes submitting entirely to faith. It's, it's really a choice between being rational and just not being rational. And again, to go back to Ayn Rand's views, I think this is the idea that she's getting at in the following passage from Atlas, where she says, reason is an absolute that permits no compromise, that a concession uh, to the irrational invalidates one's consciousness and turns it from the task of perceiving to the task of faking reality. She says, the alleged shortcut to knowledge, which is faith, is only a short circuit destroying the mind. Now, I have one last big point I want to discuss before we uh, start uh, looking at some questions, uh, because I think, and I think this is one of the aspects of Ayn Rand's uh, critique of the idea of going by faith that's most distinctive to her. Uh, and to illustrate her view, I want to share with you a personal example. Um, this is basically the form in which I discovered this point for myself, even before I'd read any Ayn Rand, uh, about uh, something that tells us where our faith is actually coming from, what it really means to go by faith. So I was raised Roman Catholic. My parents are Catholics. Uh, many members of my family, many generations before them were Catholic. Uh, that's because they uh, accepted the interpretation of the Christian Bible that was given by the popes in Rome. And I was, uh, I, you know, I considered myself a believer uh, until my late teens. But in high school, I started to meet some people from other religions. I met Jews, and I met some Muslims. And uh, in particular, since the since the Islam was uh, newer to me, I wanted to learn more about it. And so I read a big chunk of the Quran. Now, I didn't find it especially compelling at the time. I still considered myself to be a Christian, but I did notice it had its own entire coherent narrative uh, with interesting overlaps with the Christian tradition. And so the question occurred to me, why was it that I accepted the Christian Bible and my friends who were Muslims accepted uh, the Quran? And the only reason I realized I could give is that, well, I just happened to have been born uh, in a family that was Catholic and my, my friends were born into a family that's Muslim. Uh, and other than that, I couldn't really explain why I thought one scripture was more reliable or better than the other. And I guess the question I would ask of the audience is, if you do happen to adhere to one or another of these texts, can you explain that? Um, did you adopt advocacy for this text 
on its merits? Did you compare it to other texts, check the accuracy of the translations, uh, learn why certain books were included and others were excluded? Or did you accept it because it's basically what, the accidental reason you happen to grow up with it? I mean, we do trust our parents on a lot, but at a certain, uh, and I think we have to, but at a certain age, we learn they're not right about everything. And so uh, do we check their credentials on historical scholarship or is the issue just that we're afraid to disagree with them? Because I couldn't explain why I accepted this text as opposed to the other texts. I ended up giving up religion. Um, I don't blame, I think, young people who trust their parents to a certain point, but the question is what happens when they're old enough to ask the critical questions, especially critical questions about why they're afraid to disagree. Uh, and we could talk more about the issue of the connection between faith and the emotions in the Q&A if, if someone is interested. I think this idea is the, the basic idea that Ayn Rand is going for in this last passage I'll share with you. She says, a mystic is a man who surrendered his mind at its first encounter with the minds of others. Somewhere in uh, the distant reaches of his childhood, when his own understanding of reality clashed with the assertions of others, he gave into so craven a fear of independence that he renounced his rational faculty. At the crossroads of the choice between I know and they say, he chose the authority of others. Uh, he chose to submit rather than to understand, to believe rather than to think. Faith in the supernatural begins as faith in the superiority of others. So I want to wrap up then with just a few takeaway points uh, that I hope should be a little clearer to you at this point. Uh, the first is that the reason, the basic reason that we need to go by reason is that it's only relying on our observations and our inferences from those observations that can give us any knowledge of the world that we live in. The second is that what going by faith means is the negation of reason. And going by faith even a little bit means in that moment, at the very least, abandoning reason and habituating the abandonment of it in the future. And what faith really means at bottom is, I think for most people, surrendering uh, to some kind of fear of independence, some kind of fear of disagreeing with what they're raised to believe or what their peers uh, want them to believe. So the summary is, if you want to uh, know the world around you, Ayn Rand's answer to this question, and I agree with her, is go by reason. So I'll just close with a few uh, recommendations uh, for further things that you can pursue. Uh, I shared a lot of passages today from Atlas Shrugged. I think this is the book of hers where she has the most to say on this topic in a speech toward the end. Uh, and I'll also uh, give you some links to some readings here. Um, these are, if you go to the Ayn Rand lexicon uh, on the website of the Ayn Rand Institute, you look up the entries on faith, mysticism, and rationality. Uh, these contain a lot of the passages that I, that I read uh, to you earlier from Atlas Shrugged, including some other places in her nonfiction where she comments on these issues. 
I do want to take a moment to mention uh, next week's webinar. Uh, next week, we're going to have the privilege of being joined by a member of ARI's board, Harry Binswanger. He's going to be discussing a different topic. What are rights and where do they come from? Uh, if you want to sign up, uh, please go to the webinar's site on the Ayn Rand campus uh, website or use one of these URLs. And I did also want to share with you a quick poll. Um, the goal of this webinar series is to introduce some of Ayn Rand's ideas to people who aren't already familiar with them. So we're trying to find out if we're reaching our target audience. I'll leave this survey up for a while for those who are in Zoom, um, even as we start to get into questions. One last point is if you have ideas for future webinar questions, uh, let us know if there are any big questions you'd like us to take up. Uh, we're interested in hearing what kind of questions you have. We want to try to explore these from the point of Ayn Rand's philosophy. So send those uh, suggestions to webinars at aynrand.org. So now is the time where we will break for questions and I will be joined uh, hopefully right away by Keith Lockich, who's uh, my colleague at the Ayn Rand Institute. Keith, are you there? Hi, can you see me? I think I will be able to as soon as I stop sharing my screen. So let me do that. Just a second. Yeah, there you are. Hi. Okay, and hi everyone. Let me also take this moment, put some of those links um, in. in the uh, chat. Okay, so, so what do we have coming in, Keith? Yeah, we're going to move to the Q&A. For those of you who are on Zoom, if you look at the bottom of the Zoom window for a button that says Q&A, you can pop that open, and that gives you a place where you can post questions, and uh, we'll kind of moderate the questions. Um, did you want to talk about uh, taking live audio questions, Ben, or? Yeah, that's something that we've been doing more of lately. So uh, if you think you've got a pretty good audio set up and you don't think you're going to have any feedback or anything, it uh, helps if you're wearing headphones, then um, please uh, not just in instead of, uh, well, you should, you should still, I think, type your question in the Q&A box. But if you would like to be able to uh, ask it live over audio, um, you can raise your hand. And there's a way to do that uh, by hovering over the screen. At the bottom of the screen, there should be a hand raising button. And we will, uh, we will try to see who does that and maybe take some of those questions live. Yeah. Let me, uh, I wanted to kick things off with a question that I often hear on this topic. Um, and I wanted to see what you would say about it. So what about the idea that reason applies to the realm of facts and science, whereas faith applies to the realm of you know, values and morality? So yes, crystal healing is silly and, um, and the idea that we should look to scripture for knowledge about how the earth and the sun move and that sort of thing, we can put all that aside, but isn't morality different? Shouldn't we be looking there for looking to those sources for guidance about morality and values and how we should live our lives? Good, yeah. So a couple of things come to mind in response to that question. Uh, and I'll, I'll separate two issues. Uh, first, let me take on the issue of values. Uh, and this is something I was alluding to when I said that uh, for a lot of people, what it means to 
have faith is to have confidence in a, in a set of values. And it's true, if, if you think that there can be no rational scientific basis for values, then that would still amount to going by faith in the sense that I've been defining. And we do need values to guide our life. So does that mean that we need faith? Well, first thing I'll say is that this is a topic that I think was dealt with uh, quite well in a previous webinar that my colleague uh, Ankar Gatte gave. In fact, it was the first one in the series. Um, the question he asked and answered was, can't you be good without God? And what, what Ankar explored was at least Ayn Rand's reasons for thinking that, that ethics is a science, that there's a rational basis for our need for values. And without saying too much, I'll just uh, indicate that in her view, what makes something good or bad is the basically the biological effect that it has on your life. And we need values because we make choices. We have to decide whether certain kinds of actions are going to be pro our life or anti our life. And that there's a there's scientific principles that you can use to answer those questions. And so I think you can have uh, confidence in values on the basis of good reasons. And so there isn't a separate realm there uh, for uh, faith to deal with. Now, there's a second issue connected to this question, which is uh, even if you leave aside questions about uh, moral uh, morality and values, what if you think there's a supernatural dimension where there is a God uh, and that this can't be known through observation and inference? So this is the idea of the supernatural is something that Ayn Rand uh, rejected, I think, for good reasons. She thought there was no reason to believe there was a supernatural dimension, that, uh, there, uh, that it would offend against basic principles of logic to think that there was. And um, this is something that I think we can explore later in another webinar. I'm thinking about giving one on the question of, is there a God? We can look at arguments that have been given for the existence of God and uh, whether they work. But um, that's, I don't know if you wanted to add anything further to either of those points, Keith. No, I think that's good. Um, so there's a couple of questions that are coming in. There's a question coming in over Facebook and there's a question coming in on the chat and I think there's some overlap. So let me just take a couple of these and we can um, put them together. So, so Katrina on Facebook is asking about people can be easily moved from being rational to irrational and how do you how do you um, how do you encourage people to base their thinking on reason as opposed to irrational ideas and Amina in the on the zoom Q&A is asking I think a related question about you know in a if if you live in a, a society where there are a lot of religious people how can you um, in effect, how can you be rational in an irrational society? That sort of question. Um, so what do you think about those? Well, the first thing I would say is that... With irrational people and how do you... Uh, yeah, sorry. First thing I would say is that in an important way, you can't, you can't make somebody be rational. You, know, you, can, you can lead a person to reason, but you cannot make them think. Uh, I can't even give you a reason to believe in reason. If you don't already accept it to some extent, there's nothing I can say uh, that will convince you. It's a choice that people have to be rational or not. What I can do is show 
that if you are interested in knowing the world around you, the, the mind that you have and the senses that you have are the only way that you can connect to it and that you need to do it consistently uh, if you don't want to undercut that basic ability of yours. Now, as to the question of dealing with the people who are not going by reason, to the extent that you can, you can at least model what it means to live a rational life and what uh, the benefits are that come from that so that you can give other people evidence of the success of you know, going by scientific methods. But of course, they're still going to be free to evade that if they want. And at that point, I think that's where you have to start thinking about you know, how many of these people do I want to have in my life. And it's not that you, you should um, you know, just uh, go live on an island where there's only people who are perfectly rational, but you, know, you should make decisions about you know, to what extent do I want to get involved with people only to the extent that they're being rational. Try to limit your life uh, to the, uh, from involvement with them to the extent that they're not. And Rand's view here was that the most important thing that you can do is to make judgments, is to, is to practice the virtue of justice where you see someone who's being irrational, don't give them any uh, comfort. Judge them as being irrational and judge them as being immoral uh, for doing that. There's a whole other separate issue of what, how irrationality connects to immorality, but she thought it was important to make your voice heard on these kinds of questions because if you didn't, you'd be, you'd be encouraging people to continue with their irrational practices. You'd be helping them uh, to fake the idea that it works yeah, I mean, there's a there's a real aversion to the whole idea of moral judgment in our culture today. People just are almost offended if you know the, the idea of judge not lest ye be judged um, is is so commonplace. And yet, her view was that it's moral judgment is a requirement of life. You have to engage in that if you want to, uh, you know, guide yourself uh, uh, if you want to guide your life in a rational way. So. Um, okay, uh, let's see. So another question, um, another question that I often hear when talking about this kind of topic is, so you're, you're arguing that we should go by reason all the time. And you had a section in your talk that, that spoke to that. Um, but if you do that, then I think, so a lot of people assume that an implication of that is that you that will kind of turn you into a kind of emotionless robot some kind of mr spock figure so how does uh if is there some conflict between going by reason all the time and having a rich emotional life i'm going to try to answer this question without displaying any emotion at all <laughs> no I'm, uh, that's a joke see uh, so um no so the the i did discuss how uh what it means to go by faith is to surrender to certain kinds of emotions, especially to fear of independence and disagreement with others. But that shouldn't uh, be taken to mean that what it means to be rational is to never have any emotions. What it means is to recognize what the function of reason and the function of emotion is in your life and that they have different functions. The function of reason is to know the world. The function of emotion is, is to motivate you to engage in certain kinds of actions, and it, it gives you a read on the world in relation to the values that you have. And so if you see injustice, you're going to get angry. Now, if that's if you see what you think is injustice, um, but the fact that you feel angry by itself doesn't tell you that your thought that this is injustice 
is actually true. You have to then think, well, I'm feeling really angry right now, but and it looks like the person's done something wrong to me, but did they really? And let me consider the evidence for that. So uh, you'll the view here is not to be Mr. Spock. In fact, the view is that once you think about where your emotions are coming from, uh, you'll actually be in better uh, a better state of integration with them. You'll understand your emotions. You'll feel them in a, in a deeper way, and they'll be playing the proper function in your life. And for more on this, uh, I suggest taking a look at another webinar that was given just a couple of weeks ago by my colleague Aaron Smith, uh, Should I Go By My Head or By My Heart? Okay, good. And Keith, there's a chat thing coming in saying that you're you might need to raise your volume if you can. Um, okay, I'll see. I'll I'll uh, I'll see if I can do that in just a moment. But let me. Um, so we have another set of questions coming in from different sources, and I wanted to kind of put them together again. Um, so we have Vish on Facebook talking about um, people, and this was something that you spoke to in the, in your session. Um, a lot of people take the meaning of faith to be synonymous with trust. You talked about uh, you talked about faith versus confidence, and uh, you could say a little more about that. And then Emily on the Q and A chat is saying, "Is there a difference between belief and faith?" So some people might say they believe in God and have faith in God, and those are some uh, those are different. So, do you want to parse out uh, faith versus trust versus belief versus confidence? I'll try to do a little more of that. Um... So the way that I understand trust is it's a it's a very generic term that refers to uh, a certain relationship that you have with other people's advice, but that it's generic and that there can be good trust and bad trust. There can be rational trust and irrational trust. You can have good reason for listening to someone's advice or someone's testimony, and you cannot have such reason. And I would say that, yeah, we definitely need to be able to trust certain people on certain things in life. We, the vast majority of what we know, we learn from other people, and we have to, we have, to have good reason to think that those other people are teaching us something true. Um, so uh, trust can be rational. It can also be irrational. When it's irrational, that's what I would consider to be faith. Um, now, the question about belief is a similar question or a parallel question. And depends on how you define belief. Sometimes people use it in a way that's synonymous with faith. Like, I don't know it, I just believe it. And even in that case, it may be that they don't know it with certainty. Maybe they just uh, have a high degree of probability in favor of it, which could still be on the basis of some reason. Um, but the way I use uh, belief is, uh, again, it's a kind of generic term where you can have rational beliefs and you can have irrational beliefs. You can believe with conviction on the basis of the evidence uh, and sometimes not. And, uh, I, but I think a better word really than belief here is something like judgment. Uh, we make judgments, we have to make judgments, we have to decide what's true and we should have reason uh, for making those judgments. If, if, if we're judging simply on the basis of a feeling about what other people say we should think, that's faith. Um, so we have a question coming in on the chat that that's it's it would get us a little bit. Um, it's not it's not specifically on the topic, but I think it's when you talk about reason and faith, it's a question that comes up. So this is Marilyn asking this on the Zoom chat about the universe. So you know we're talking about going by reason, going by faith. She's asking how would the, how is the universe created? 
And does Rand, you know, she's citing the fact that there are quantum physicists who believe in God. Is that relevant? Uh, and what would you say about that? Well, there's quantum physicists who probably will believe just about anything. So <laughs> the mere fact that uh, a couple of scientists think something by itself certainly doesn't mean it's true. This is related to the issue I was discussing of uh, uh, you've got to think that people have the relevant expertise to be able to you know, have a reason to accept their testimony. And at last time I checked, quantum physicists study the subatomic level, not, um, not the, uh, whether there's a supernatural dimension or not. But uh, the, the first question that Marilyn asked, I think, is, um, is, is, one that's, is one that's definitely worth thinking uh, more about. How was the universe created? So this is, I think, what they call a loaded question. Uh, so if I say, do you still beat your wife? I'm implying that at one point you did in the past uh, or that you at least are doing it now. But the question should really be, do you do it at all? And likewise here, how was the universe created presupposes that it was created. But why think that? Um, created out of what? With what previous materials? Well, if there were previous materials, wouldn't that have been part of the universe as well? Um, Rand's view, and I agree with her here, and this is not just hers, but uh, a, a number of philosophers have raised the same point, is that the universe is something that is, a, is an absolute and a given. And you've got to start with something. Now, the, the reason that people, uh, people will say, yeah, but you know, what created the universe? Well, you can ask, what created God? You've got to start somewhere, right? They think that it makes more sense to start with some kind of superconscious being. There's a question of why they think that. Uh, how's that being, uh, what is that being conscious of before it creates the universe? There's a lot more to say about this question. It's one of the, one of the things that I think we'll probably talk about in future episodes if we do a webinar on the question of whether or not there's a God. But uh, you, should, you should be critical of this question. How was the universe created? Why do you assume that it had to be? And um, what would it even, how would it even help to assume that a god did create it? Mm. Okay. Um, so there's a question in the Q&A module from Sally about free will. So uh, if, you, if this is a topic that's dear to your heart as well. So I wonder if this is one that you want to take up. So the, the question is, we don't yet have scientific evidence to validate free will from our consciousness. Does that mean that that's something we need to have faith in? Do we have faith in the fact that we have free will? This is one of those questions that often goes together with questions about whether you have to have faith to uh, have any moral values. And I think the, the answer here is similar, that um, it's... Well, for one thing, I think that, and I, I recently wrote an article uh, on the topic, uh, if you look up why champions of reason and science need free will on our publication, New Ideal, I discussed some of the arguments that have given on the basis of alleged scientific evidence saying that we don't have uh, free will. I show that the evidence doesn't really show that. But it is true that uh, the nature of our knowledge of free will is not uh, the same as ordinary scientific evidence. It consists not in looking out at the world and doing specific experiments. Instead, it consists in looking inside our consciousness, introspecting, and being aware of the fact that we make choices. But this isn't faith. Uh, faith means the acceptance of things as true without any reason, without any evidence. But I think introspective evidence is a kind of evidence. It's, in fact, some of the most direct evidence that you can get. 
uh, like unto just the immediate evidence of your senses. So uh, it's true that nobody else can look inside your consciousness and you can't show them what you're seeing when you look. Uh, and so it's not, that's not the way science usually uh, operates, but it's direct evidence that you yourself have. And it's therefore, I think, just as rational as anything. And in fact, one of the things I argue for in that article is that it's a presupposition of the possibility of scientific rationality, that we accept that we have free will. Because what scientists are doing is using a certain method that they judge to be objectively rational. And they recommend that you use this method. They're saying, choose this method as opposed to uh, you know, using confirmation bias. Be objective as opposed to being subjective. But that's a choice that you have to make, and science presupposes that choice. I think there's another element to the question, kind of reading between the lines a little bit, which the, the idea that science hasn't validated free will, I think part of what might be um, implied there, or part of what's going along with the question is, the, is there are, there's definitely an open scientific question about um, you know, the relationship between mind and brain and how do we, how do we account for, sure. for what, so what is, what is sort of the physical basis of consciousness and, and how is, how do we, how is free will related to that? And, but, but the question is, do you, do you have to have um, answered that question to be, to have, to be certain about the introspective evidence that you have, that we, that we have free will? So the so what evidence is required, you know? I mean, I, I think the objectivist perspective is that is that we can validate the fact that we have free will by means of introspective evidence, even if there are open scientific questions about the relationship between mind and brain and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just like the question of do you need to know uh, the the quantum physics of how particles fit together in order to know that you can sit down in a chair. Uh, I mean, the way that chairs, the chairs are solid objects because of certain quantum principles, and we might not know what they are, but we can, we still know that we can sit in chairs by trying it out. Okay, we have a question about, I'm just, I've got all, I've got three different question sources, that's why I'm kind of looking around a bit here, but we have a question from Juan, from Juan about intuition, and he says, I understand that intuition is a rational process, but could you elaborate on the idea of intuition, because a lot of people think that, uh, you know, faith comes from intuition, from intuitive understanding. What is it that we're experiencing when we experience, you know, what people call intuition? And is that, how, how is that a rational process and, and how is that related? So people call a lot of different things intuitions. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a sloppily used term. Um, which packages together some things I think that are real and some things that I think aren't at all. Um, you know, so just to give it its full due, I mean, people do make snap judgments on the basis of what occurs to them in the moment. Uh, sometimes this comes up in that whole thinking fast and thinking hot and cold. I can't remember the psychologist, but it's, there is such a thing as a subconscious automatized reaction. And we, we, we have to use those sometimes. And they're, they're very important for the way thinking works. Two plus two equals, you know the answer, it's four. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you have to accept every answer that you, you get through your subconscious. Uh, sometimes when you uh, don't have a lot of time to think about it, you, you, you'll go with it, but that doesn't mean you accept that it's the absolute truth. You have to think about that and pause uh, and uh, 
in a cool moment decide, well, is this subconscious reaction I'm having correct? There's a lot that overlaps here with the, uh, the issue of the emotions that I brought up before. Um, but, uh, I mean, and it's true, I think, that when people go on faith, one of the things they're doing is going on a certain kind of automatized emotional reaction. But what's, I think, very distinctive and important about Ayn Rand's view here is that it's not like there's a special religious brain center and, and, and you've got your religious intuitions that are sort of there from birth and it's a matter of just introspecting them to know a certain truth about the universe. Uh, Rand's view, and I think she's right, and based on my own experience, this is something I, I discovered even before I was, uh, I'd read any Rand, is, is that what people call the intuitions of faith I mean, where did, why is it that they have this intuition about um, the resurrection of Christ as opposed to uh, the Muslim idea that Christ was a prophet but not the Son of God? There's no way of explaining that on the basis of any innate intuition. It's that they were raised to, to believe this by their parents. And this is something that they got from experience, but they didn't critically analyze that experience. So it may be that they've automatized this perspective after many years of being raised by people in a certain faith tradition. And so it, it's, it seems just obvious to them, and so you might call it intuitive. But just like with any other intuitive reaction, it's worth uh, thinking about whether the, the basis for that reaction has any basis in reality. And you know, when I did it with religion at, when I was a teenager, I decided, no, it doesn't. Okay, so we have a we have a question from Harry that came in the chat. I think this is so earlier when we were talking about passing judgment and, and exercising moral judgment, there's a question about how do you do that in in a reasonable way in a context. So he gives an example of he has a family member who's a, a beloved family member who's a devout Christian. Are we are we suggesting that the right approach with this family member is to sort of pronounce moral judgment in a way that alienates them and, and ends the relationship, or, or are we suggesting something different? What's the, what, what kind of approach are we talking about here? Well, I don't want Harry to take me on faith. So, you know, <laughs> before I were to give an answer to this question, I would want to know a whole lot more about the situation. I mean, I think uh, there are a lot of people out there who, are, who have religious views that they accept on faith, but they find ways of compartmentalizing those views in a certain way in their life. And while I wouldn't encourage uh, you to uh, sanction that, there's plenty of other ways you can still relate to the person. Now, maybe part of what Harry's saying here is that, given the way I described, uh, I shouldn't he shouldn't associate uh, with him at all, perhaps because this person's really irrational, perhaps because this person lets their religion infiltrate their entire life, and there certainly are people like that. Uh, and yeah, in, in, in a case like that, I think it's at the very least important uh, not to not to make that person a part of your life if it's so infiltrated their life that it makes them uh, you know unbearable to live with. Now there's then a separate question of how exactly you should formalize the um, the uh, dissociation in a case like that. Uh, if the person's done something really bad to you uh, because of their belief system, uh, you should definitely call them out for it and say you did this bad thing. Uh, I'm ending our relationship because of it. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that you make a federal case out of it, but it does mean that you, you make your uh, reasons for the split known. Um, 
it's going to be, you know, there's going to, you'll have to adjust that procedure according to the scale uh, to which the person's, you know, let these irrational ideas into their, into their life, I think. And it's not easy, I should say. It's the, the, judging someone's character is very difficult, and it's hard to know how much of them is good versus how much is bad and how much the good things are worth holding on to. And so it's, it's not something that you want to make a snap judgment about. It's something that you yourself have to exercise uh, you know, extreme uh, scrupulous rationality about in rendering judgment. That's part of the reason why when she talked about the importance of moral judgment, Ayn Rand said, judge and prepare to be judged. You have to make judgments, but then, you know, you're not infallible. And so people may judge you for making the wrong judgment. And that's just something that you have to live with. All right. Now we have someone who wants to take us up on our offer to uh, go live. Yair, uh, Raf, so let me, uh, how do you feel about taking a live question? Ben? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so Yair, I'm going to use, I'm going to allow you to talk. Now we're going to, we're going to um, exercise, our, I'm going to exercise a moderator's privilege. If we run into audio issues, I'm going to turn your microphone off. But uh, let, uh, barring that, let's see if this works. So I'm going to hit allow to talk. Now, Yair, can you, uh, I'm going to unmute you. Let's see. Are you there, Yair? Why are you not unmuting? Maybe you're both trying to unmute at the same time. Oh, maybe, yeah. Let's see. Yair, can you can you hear us? Do you uh, can you unmute your microphone? Sometimes people will uh, raise their hand and then step away and not know yeah. that it's their turn. Okay, well, let's exercise moderator's privilege and disable the talking then. Uh, okay. Sorry, Yair. Uh, but if anyone else wants to uh, try, you can use the hand raising feature on Zoom. Um, or let us know in your, in, if you post a question, you can let us know um, if there's something there you want to, if you want to ask a question live. So, okay, we're, we're getting close to the end here. There are a few questions uh, from Amina. Um, you know, I think one, one question that's interesting, so in the context of this discussion about reason and faith and should you guide your life by reason, you know, does faith play a role in how you guide your life? It raises the broader question here of what is the goal of life? What are we trying to achieve here? Are we just trying to, are we trying to achieve peace or serenity? Are we trying to be happy, uh, be intellectually fulfilled? And then does, does being religious help with any of these? Um. Right. So this is, this is part of why at the very end of my presentation, what I said was, if you want to know the world that we're living in, then you need to go by reason. I mean, there's no commandment, go by reason, just period. Um, this is related to the fact I can't give you a reason independent of you're already accepting reason to go by reason. So, uh, the, my goal is is to live and flourish and be happy. I think that's the only goal that can actually generate any kind of uh, values, any kind of norms for living in life. This is something, again, that uh, Ankar discussed in the first webinar connected to Rand's view that the concept of life is what makes the concept of value possible. 
So the only goal that I know of that can generate any useful advice uh, with any cognitive content is the goal of living a happy and successful and flourishing life. And the importance of going by reason is intimately connected to that because human beings survive by reason. It's our basic means of survival. It's what distinguishes us from other animals. I see Amina was also asking about how human beings, are they just a highly developed, uh, do they just have a highly developed reptilian brain? And I mean, we do have a highly developed brain, but it works in a way that is very different from the way other animals work. Uh, we use our reason to identify causal connections in the world in order to create tools and technology that allow us to to change our environment for the better rather than simply adapting to it. Uh, and so the, the human means of survival uh, reason is tied up with... Uh, with, with what makes uh, life great and what makes it uh, glorious compared to, to animal existence. So uh, I think that's all I can do on that one. Did you have anything to add? No, I think we're getting close to the end here. Um, if you wanna scan these questions that have come in and see if there's anything else you wanna take up. Um, Okay. Uh, maybe the last, uh, the first one that Amina asked would be a good one to end with. What would you attribute a feeling of gratitude to in the absence of a belief in something bigger than yourself? I think that's a good question um, because, and it relates to the point that I made that you can have uh, both trust and confidence in people on the basis of reason, and you don't need faith to make sense of it. I mean, you have gratitude, for example, uh, toward your parents uh, when they raised you well, uh, and when you know they encouraged you, among other things, to uh, to get an education and learn to think for yourself. Uh, I should mention, <laughs> uh, just in case they're watching, that even though my parents, um, uh, you know, raised me to be Catholic, at a certain point, I decided I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. Um, and even though my parents were still believers, they were fine with that. And they let me go my separate way. They wanted me to think for myself. They wanted me to discover the truth for myself. And I have a lot of gratitude for them for that. Okay. Well, on that note, why don't we, uh, why don't we wrap things up here? Do you want to put up your slide again? Um, with information about next week and, and, and uh, leading to your final comments here. Maybe I'll mute myself and uh, stop my video. Uh, you mean the announcement about Harry? Yeah. Yeah, just show it. Just, just a second here. Where did my share button go? There we go. Yes. Yeah, so please join us again. Uh, next week, we will be uh, privileged to uh, have another webinar run by Dr. Harry Binswanger, who was himself an associate of Ayn Rand, uh, knew more about, knows more about uh, her philosophy, I think, than any of the rest of us. So uh, his topic, again, is what are rights and where do they come from? And uh, hope that you will join us for this next week.
Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.